Thank you very much, Irene and Anita, for ministering in music. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. That as a body of believers, we can seek to apply it in our life. As we look at Hebrews 12 again this morning, we want to be open, sensitive to hearing, to applying your word. For your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, reading together verses 1 through 13. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten, the, forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. From what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone, or everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our fathers discipline us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The overall thrust of Hebrews is Christ is better than Moses, Aaron, the prophets, the Old Testament system of sacrifice. Also tied in with that theme is the theme of perseverance, endurance, you know, continuing and being faithful. In chapter 1, 1 through chapter 10 and verse 18, he presents Christ very, very strongly. He's better than his sacrifice, his high priestly ministry, and so on. In ten nineteen through 39, there's an exhortation to pursue Christ because of who he is and what he has done. And in chapter 11, we have the issue of faith those who have been faithful down through the pages of time, those who have been faithful before 
Christ. Then in chapter 12, 1 through 3, we have an exhortation. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and I'm of the conviction that we have a courtroom scene almost where God is on trial. Is God faithful? Is he to be trusted? And witness after witness in chapter 11 is called to the stand. God is faithful. He is to be trusted. God is faithful. He is to be trusted. Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and so on. They all say, yes, God is to be trusted. So since we're surrounded with that great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I think the sin is, as we walk with God, as the people to whom the writer addresses, as they're walking with God, there's temptations to drift. There's temptations to get off track. He says, throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance, fixing your eyes on Christ. And in fixing your eyes upon Christ, he goes on in verse 4, in your struggle against sin. Walking with God faithfully brings with it temptations to get off the path. We find that the children of Israel in chapter 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. That is chapter 30 of chapter 11, verse 30 of chapter 11. I get it right. Had marched around them for seven days. Think about the military strategy. You conquer a city by walking around it one time six days and seven times on the seventh day. They're walking with God. They're trying to be faithful. Do you think Joshua thought, God, you're going loopy? There's a temptation to question God. Children of Israel saying to Joshua, going to walk around the city six times, one time each day on the seventh day, seven times. That's crazy. In your struggle against sin, there's a temptation to go away from God. But in your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted the point of shedding your blood. That is, they haven't died for their faith. So he, the exhortation, as we discussed last week, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart. Because whom he loves, he rebukes. He punishes, endure hardship. Now in light of that, we want to make some observations concerning the text as we touched on last week, the effect of discipline is not dependent upon or is dependent upon the response of the one who receives it. Note in verse 5, the exhortation to not lose heart. In verse 7, endure. In verse 9, submit to the Father of spirits. And in verse 11, have been trained by it. See, God disciplines us to keep us on track. But we have a choice. Do we receive the discipline? Do we submit to it? Do we accept it? Do we endure it? Or do we resist it? And that can be comparable to a father disciplining his son or daughter. A child may resist it, 
and say, Fooey on you, Dad. Maybe not say it, but they just don't accept it. They don't respond in light of it. So we think about the Lord's discipline. It's dependent upon the hearers of Hebrews submitting to it, accepting it, enduring hardship. And that is true of us today. Yielding to the Lord. Now I want you to look at chapter 11 and verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. And when we think about Joseph, if you go back to Genesis, we're not going to go there, but we know Joseph had some dreams. He shared them with his family, and they were not well received. We know that he was sold into slavery by his ten brothers. He ended up in Egypt in Potiphar's house, and God blessed him in Potiphar's house. Mrs. Potiphar lied about him, even though he resisted her sexual advances, and he ended up in prison. While in prison, God blessed him. He interpreted two dreams while in prison, and he asked to be remembered, and he was forgotten. And during that time, As you read on in Genesis, it seems like Joseph is seeking to obey God. He's striving to to stay on track. And what happens? Mrs. Potiphar offers herself and says, come to bed with me. That was a temptation to get off track. It was a hardship. He resisted. God built into his life. In the midst of temptation. As he is in prison. God. I obeyed you. Mrs. Potiphar lies about me. And now I end up in prison. God says yes. This is hardship. I'm disciplining you. I'm building into your life. Endure. Submit. Don't resist it. Accept it. And later on in life. When he reveals himself to his brothers. He says God intended What you did for evil, I'm sorry, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. What was Joseph doing? He was submitting to the hardship. He's trying to obey God, but hardship came. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Whether discipline has an impact on us depends on how we respond. Do we accept it or do we resist? In the context of Hebrews 12, the goal of discipline in verse 9 is to live. In verse 10, good, to share in God's holiness also in verse 10. And in verse 11, righteousness, and also in verse 11, holiness. As I mentioned last week, the idea of live is to be possessed of vitality. Those who are disciplined by God, who accept it, welcome it, endure it, have a quality of life that those who resist it will not have. They have life. He says it's good in verse 10. It's profitable, it's advantageous. I've asked myself quite often, where would I be today? If my parents had not disciplined me, 
I would not be in a good place. I ask myself too, where would I be today if God had not and does not continue to discipline me? I would not be in a good place. It's good. It's profitable. It's advantageous. He says also, live good and sharing God's holiness. Take a man like Abraham. You look at his life later, there's a greater holiness than earlier in his life because he went through the discipline. As he was walking with God, God brought some hardship to build qualities into his life that he would not have had otherwise. Righteousness, the idea of righteousness is responding correctly and well in relationships and knowing how to respond. And then he also says, peace. The idea of peace is just tranquility, a calmness, a state of rest. God's sovereign, he's working in my life. That's a result of discipline. Discipline is painful. But this pain moves us to faith as we're exercised by it. Discipline means we do not live by sin's demands, but yield more and more fully to the Lord. Discipline is painful, but it moves to faith. Hebrews 11, we have what we call the faith chapter. People who walk with God before Christ. And God disciplined them. He worked in their life. Think about Moses. Moses ended up living in Pharaoh's house for some 40 years. He would have been trained in Egyptian culture, Egyptian education, a very well-trained individual. And we know that he ended up killing an Egyptian because the Egyptian was doing something to a Hebrew or an Israelite. And he fled from Egypt and he spent 40 years in the desert taking care of sheep that didn't belong to him, that belonged to his father-in-law. How do you like that, guys? Worked for your father-in-law for 40 years, caring for his sheep. Here's a well-educated man, trained in the culture, the education of Egypt, and he's caring for sheep. I would venture to say that's hardship. In the flow of the passage, God was disciplining Moses. You say, what was Moses doing wrong? Discipline is not always because we're doing wrong. Discipline is to keep us on track as we seek to obey God, when we're tempted to go astray. So Moses submitted to the discipline, and we know that he ended up delivering the children of Israel from Egypt. Now advance to delivering the children of Israel from Egypt, and you're ready to cross the Red Sea, and behind you, you have a million and a half to two and a half million people moaning and groaning and complaining. And you have the Red Sea in front of you. And Moses led by faith. Painful, but the Lord was building into the life of Moses 
through hardship so that he might yield more and more fully to the Lord. It's interesting that in the final 40 years, early on in the final 40 years, he's called the most humble man on the face of the earth. That came through discipline along the way. Every child of God undergoes discipline. No discipline indicates one is not a child of God. And that's brought out in the context. A couple of examples of discipline. In the last month, we've experienced some death in our congregation. And in the midst of death, there's a temptation to drift from God. You ever stop to consider that we can treat death as discipline, not because people were sinning, but God is trying to keep us on track as we live in a messed up world. Building faith into our lives. You go to work and you have a tough coworker who does not treat you well. And as a tough co-worker is giving you a hard time, you're tempted to lash out with revenge. And God says, I've allowed a tough co-worker to discipline you, to show you your heart, that many times you want revenge rather than being kind to your enemy. Will you accept that as discipline and let me build into your heart a greater grace. See, that type of pain is not fun. But yet, God works in our lives. Jerry, you want to take me to other thoughts? A couple of thoughts as we look at this passage and seek to live it out in our daily lives. Easy living results in little or weak faith. If we demand an easy life, if the people in Hebrews 11 demanded an easy life, that tends to result in a weak faith. Consider how the people in Hebrews 11 were tested. We have Gideon, Gideon was tested. God told him, go deliver. And Gideon said, I don't want to. And we know about the fleece. We know about hearing what was being said. He was going through a hard time, and the hard time built his faith. Easy living Results in little or weak faith. God brings hardship into life. Tied in with that, teach children to accept parental instruction without question. And I'm talking in a home where instruction is good, but just to accept instruction. Why? Because that instruction, that pain that a mom and dad may bring, is to develop faith. 
in them. So to demand answers and explanations before responding is not faith. God says, Abraham, I want you to go to a country that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. So Abraham gets up a week later and says, God, where am I going? I'm tempted to want to know where I'm going. And God says, Abraham, just live today. I'll show you where to go today. And a week later, he gets up and says, God, where am I going to end up? And God says, I'm giving you some hardship. I want you to trust me. I'll tell you where to go today. Abraham learned not to demand. And that resulted in faith. So that when God said to Abraham years later, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to offer him. There's no indication of questioning, of doubt. He just obeyed and went. The hardship taught him faith. An application to our world today, looking to music, to programs, to methods, to worship styles, etc., to reach or keep young people actually promotes no faith by giving into their selfishness what they want. We frown on their the word that's not correct there. We focus on their want. That should be focus. We focus on their want and ignore their need. Their need is to be rescued from sin, which requires hardship and discipline. I want you to go back to the 60s. Some of you weren't living then. We have the hippie generation. And we have some other things taking place. And teenagers were demanding what they wanted. And many parents gave in and gave them what they wanted. And they grew into daughterhood, getting what they wanted. They brought children into the world and giving to their children what they wanted. And if you read culture today and follow culture today very well, a lot of baby boomers are very selfish people. Because they were given... What they wanted when they were teenagers. They were not allowed to go through hardship. They didn't want the discipline from mom and dad. And that had a consequence. The writer of Hebrews is saying to people who are struggling. They're being tempted in the midst of losing property. Being tempted in the light of persecution. To drift from God. And God says, I'm allowing this hardship to build faith. To give What people want actually promotes selfishness rather than faith, rather than the development of righteousness and holiness. In light of the text in our world today, fathers who run from one water hole to another for satisfaction show a lack of discipline 
Thus, they're not able to discipline their own children. A father who demands, and I emphasize demands, not saying it's wrong to have them, but who has to have new toys to be content, is not developing discipline. So he'll struggle in disciplining his children. The man who runs from one pornography site to another pornography site to another pornography site is not finding contentment in Christ, is not developing holiness and godliness. How will he be able to discipline his children? That's flowing from Hebrews chapter 12. Nothing wrong with programs and methods and music styles and worship styles. You've got to use some form, but they tend to create selfishness. Discipline creates faith because it confronts sin. Just to comment a sidelight, sometimes we talk about worship and contemporary music and so on. You can have someone that is into traditional music and traditional worship as demanding as someone who wants something different. I'm not talking style. I'm talking the attitude of the heart. Discipline is needed. We don't always get what we want because that's hardship and that creates faith and that confronts sin. So church leaders must model and practice receiving discipline and giving discipline. Accepting discipline from God, accepting discipline from hardship or hardship from God. And then fathers being willing to receive discipline and practicing discipline. See what I mean? What do you mean, fathers receiving discipline? Hardship that God uses to develop holiness and character. Example from my own life. I think most of you know years ago I had a skull tumor removed. That was God's discipline. You say, were you sinning? No. I was seeking to walk with God. Discipline in this context is primarily, as we seek to walk with God, God allows hardship to to build even greater holiness and godliness into us. You say, in what way was it discipline? I get up every day. I went indefinitely. I was a picture of health. And God says, Dan... You're trusting in your health. I want to train you here. I'm going to give you some weakness so that you trust me more. So that when you're standing at a hospital bed and someone there is going through physical trials, you can say, I understand. So my father passes away after some physical suffering. Discipline, a hardship in my life, 
to say, Dan, you had a good dad. He had his issues at times. But you're going to miss him because I want you to trust me more and more. And I want you to be able to say to someone else who lost their father, I understand. I've been there and I've been through it. Fathers receiving discipline from the Lord. A 50-year-old father being able to say to a 25-year-old son or daughter, here's how God disciplined me in the last two weeks. I had a hard time on the job, and I was ready to go after the boss, but God backed me up and said, look, you have a heart that wants revenge. And God taught me to be kind. God's disciplining me. Please accept God's discipline. The frequency at which pastors leave churches and church leadership changes make it very difficult for them to model receiving discipline and practicing discipline. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me explain. The average stay of a pastor in churches is three to five years. It's slowly going up. You say, what's that have to do with discipline? I say this from a pastor's perspective. Shepherding people is not always easy because they don't always respond correctly. Nor do I. (laughs) And there's a temptation to get frustrated and just to grab some people and shake them up a little and hold them up against the wall and say, you going to ever learn? Well, these people aren't responding the way I want, so I'm going to move to greener pastors. I'm going to go to another church. Rather than staying and letting God form character into the person. So if we as leaders are forever changing to try to get something to happen, to find contentment, we're not receiving discipline. So how can we encourage someone else to live under discipline? Referring to pastors and just church leaders overall. Modeling discipline. And by the way, I was painting an extreme of people earlier, okay, to make a point. Many people are very gracious and responsive. But if you were to ask the average pastor how many times they've been tempted to respond incorrectly, they went through hardship and God formed character as they submitted to the hardship. The result of discipline in light of Hebrews 12, 1 through 13 is righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It seems the lack of discipline may result in losing children, teens, when they become young adults because they're not treated as sons. Thus children conclude they're not loved, delighted in, and are illegitimate children and not true children. I want you to think about that. The writer of Hebrews says, concerning believers, 
that if there's not discipline, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. If a believer is not disciplined, then where are they at in a relationship with God? And bringing that over to family life, a father disciplining children because he loves them, not because he's frustrated, not because he's angry, but to develop a greater faith. And if a child is not experiencing that, where does that leave them? And even if the child is experiencing it and they're not accepting it, then that runs into struggles. I thought long and hard about this. And I cry out to God time and time again. I, as a child of God, God disciplines me. I, as a father, am to discipline my children. And if I'm not disciplined, then God must not be my father. Any child thinking, if dad has not disciplined me, am I really dad's kid? And I think there's a parallel. And tied in with that, reaching and keeping young people, children struggle with sin. Thus they need discipline to conquer it. Without discipline, they become a slave of sin, especially self. Children struggle. Even though they want to obey, they struggle with temptations to sin. They need discipline to have victory over it. And if that discipline is not given, and I'm not talking always physical discipline, what happens? They become more and more a slave of sin. Children need hardship to deal with sin. So often parents remove hardship, giving all children what? We make them greater sinners in action and more selfish. I'm not talking discipline where there's anger, where there's frustration, where I'll get you. I'm talking about a discipline that says, I love you and I care for you. You're being tempted to get off track. I want to bring you back on track. And some children don't accept it. And they end up going astray because they don't accept it. But they need it. God's children, we need it. Physical children need it. David and Eli are examples of men who did not discipline their sons. And I might say growing sons also. Consider how many children have no father in their lives on a consistent daily basis. Just think about our country. How many children have no father? 
and how that affects them. Undisciplined young adults live for the seen rather than by faith. Hebrews 11. The people in Hebrews 11 went through discipline. Then we get to Hebrews 12, and the exhortation is to accept God's discipline, submit to it, endure hardship. How many times did my father discipline me as a young adult? Fairly often. You say he called you and he spanked you? No, I'm not talking that. I'm talking about allowing some hardship. To build character. Please understand that as children we don't get beyond the need for discipline. I'm not talking about how a child might be disciplined when they're younger. I'm talking about just a parent continuing to influence their children longer term. They may not always respond, but still sharing. Undisciplined young adults don't seem to learn the discipline necessary to resist sin. I listen a lot. I ask tons of questions. And I observe a lot. We have a lot of Young people, 30 years and younger, that are crying out, I want to be disciplined. Because I want life. I want to have vitality. I want holiness. I want righteousness. I want peace. Well, they don't say it in that way. But they get down past that may not be good. And they're let go. No one is bringing hardship into their life. We talk about reaching young people and keeping younger people. God's plan has never changed. We may do much much to try to reach them. Just as spiritual children need discipline, physical children need pain and hardship of discipline to develop faith. There's a direct parallel between living by faith and discipline. Giving hardship by dad and children receiving it. 
my oldest brother, Orville, went through a period of time when there was some difficulty at home, and I was younger and I didn't follow all of it. And I know mom and dad gave some discipline. And my older brother resisted it. And he ended up getting in some trouble. Later on, as a man in his late teens and early 20s, there was a change of heart on my brother's part. And he started to respond to some of mom and dad's discipline and some other hardship that came into his life. He taught and trained his own children. A good relationship with his grandchildren and died, what I would say, well. But it tied in with Discipline, pain, hardship. And what that looks like, I'm not here to tell you. It depends on the people. But God disciplines us for our love, or for our good. But we also need to be willing to be involved in discipline of others, including our own children. And I emphasize children may respond or may not respond. It's not always in the parent. Sometimes it's in the child because they don't respond. But seeing God and his love and his grace, wanting to develop faith in our lives for our good, so that we have life, so that we have holiness, we have righteousness, we have peace. So that we in turn can seek to display that in our relationships with others. Let's pray together. Father, we know that you love us. And many times we are prone to think of discipline as when we get way off track and you kind of work in our lives to get us back on track. But the overall thrust of Hebrews 12 seems to be more of people who are striving to walk with God and in the process they face hardship and temptations to get off track and you use that hardship to build even a deeper faith. So may we be submissive, Father, to your discipline of us whether it be individually or as families or as a church, welcoming it, submitting to it, enduring it, because we know that you're concerned about us having life. You're concerned about us developing righteousness and holiness and peace. And may we see discipline that comes as one that comes from a heart of love where you care for us deeply and you're working for our good and for our profit. May we be a people who submits. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.